Hello. In episode 27.2 of Airs for Architecture, I speak with Brian Cantley, Professor of Design Theory at Cal State Fullerton and founder of Form ULA, or Formula, an experimental architecture design and graphic communication studio based in Southern California. We speak about his new book, Speculative Coolness, Architecture, Media, the Real and the Virtual, published by Routledge earlier this month. Well, in a typical studio, you might draw something and, and with the hopes that it gets built. A lot of the work that I do, it's not a, a search for the buildable, it's a search for spatiality and conditions of visual inquiries that could potentially influence others when they're making things to get built. But its its goal is not necessarily to get produced in another medium and another scale by another person. I, I think the work, the, the models certainly, but the drawings too, are themselves are acts of architecture, right? They, they are the architecture. A is for architecture, a podcast about architecture, buildings, urban culture and space. Hello and welcome to another episode of A is for Architecture. I'm talking today to Brian Cantley. Brian, would you introduce yourself, please? Certainly, yeah. Um, I'm an architect and designer and educator. Um, I live in uh, Southern California, teach uh, design at uh, California State University, Fullerton. I've been teaching here for, I think this is my 31st year, um, and uh, been um, doing experimental and speculative work with my studio formula probably for um, just just about as, as long, almost almost 30 years. Fantastic. So, so we're, we, we're talking, I, I, I actually found your Instagram feed before I found your book. And it was through your Instagram feed that I came across your, your recent book, Speculative Coolness, Architecture, Media, The Real and The Virtual, which I think is an amazing mind-bending book. Very oh, much you. out of, a, very much out of um, my normal comfort zone, which is kind of why I went for it, because I kind of want to meet people who are challenging norms within architectural production practice design and education um but did, where did you train you, you you call yourself an architect but you've been doing this project this type of work for 30 years yeah yeah exactly um so i, I did my <clears throat> my undergraduate at university of north carolina charlotte and then moved to Los Angeles in 1987, 88 to, to do my graduate work at UCLA and uh, have, have stuck around ever since. But I've been doing, um, it started out sort of as a continuation of my thesis project, um, was, had, hadn't come to a conclusion as it were when the, when my education, formal education was over and it, it, the experimental work has just kind of, um, evolved. Um, uh, it's something that I've been focusing on, uh, as, as much, if not more of, uh, as my, as my teaching for the last 30 years. So yeah, it's been kind of a, it's a 30 year long project per se. So, so, uh, North Carolina, that was where Henry Sanoff, was professor participatory design is that right or or what was the kind of because obviously when one thinks of UCLA one has these ideas of kind of well Los Angeles really but right what what drew you away from I'm guessing a more parochial school into you know the big bad sure well um, not not a um, a tremendous amount of diverse culture in I grew up in a in a farming community um, Oxford North Carolina um probably a couple thousand people proper in the town um great great people great place to be around um my father was a textile worker um so between the visiting his his plant and getting inside these large machines and seeing the farming equipment and the construction equipment i kind of have a uh, a birthright affinity for uh, large uh, architectural scale machines and especially machines that make other machines or machines that construct um, finished my undergraduate education. I had visited Cal had family in California, visited out here and, um, very much like the, the culture, um, and, and have to say the weather certainly wasn't a, wasn't a, a negative, <clears throat> but I, I discovered that LA was a, um, it, it was more of a laboratory that, especially in the, in the late eighties, it was more of an experimental place. And I found that the kind of architecture that I that I at least thought I wanted to pursue had 
um, a finite conclusion in 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 the in, in North Carolina and and LA seem to be more of a, a place to you know try things out and experiment and get a, a sounding board from other architects and society and and it and it just kind of it just kind of stuck. So that's really interesting. I, th- I think that's really interesting that that you mentioned farm machines, but we haven't really described your work. I mean, I, I the the it's architecture as drawing is that a way of putting it how would you describe your work like what is its mode and i suppose how would how would you describe it like difficult for a for a creator to describe their own things but and your drawings particularly difficult to describe um that's probably one of the more challenging questions i've ever i've ever received um uh, to try to boil it down, so it, it definitely um, is looking at the machine and technology and media as as vehicles for expression and exploration. The 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 act and the search of of drawing as part of the practice is obviously uh, quite integral and and critical. Um, Given the nature of uh, of the the vast majority, I may perhaps all of the work is more about asking questions and providing answers. Drawing, for me, is the way of starting to engage that. Um, I've got a, a saying that I've been kind of playing around with for twenty years: is that um, drawings lie, or at least they tell us the untruths that we want to hear. <clears throat> you know, when I'm when I'm working on a model, digital model, or, or I do a lot of physical models. Um, there's there's kind of a finite response, you know, built in, and we can we can sort of blur blur uh, uh, representation c- c- uh, ideals and components within the models. But when you when, um, a little bit when you get into the drawing, there's so many there's so many opportunities to um, not not commit not to define, but try to unpack and kind of reconstruct and reformulate. Mm. Uh, it's always it's always been a huge part um, um, and the the you know sort of the typical notion the way that i was trained where one would sketch and draw diagram sketch and then build models as kind of to see a, a, a physical conclusion to represent the building with with my practice it's 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 not linear there there's this this extreme oscillation between the the two dimensional the two and a half dimensional and the three dimensional uh, it's oftentimes the model is in, in uh, reinforming and deforming a drawing exercise as much as the as the drawing would be the model so it's kind of been this yeah this this kind of back and forth trying to see i used to call it uh, media shifting that when we get to a certain point in a in a project or a proposal or an inquiry um where at, at that moment the media doesn't yield anything new it's time for me to switch to a different media might whether it's modeling whether it's uh limited access to animation or or writing or whatever um until that then stops producing uh um uh, a larger set of questions <clears throat> and then I'll shift back to a different media so it's kind of but that's a really long <laughs> of almost avoiding answer <clears throat> excuse me to that question but it's yeah, it's it's really difficult to kind of try to pinpoint the nature of the work other than looking at the the potential kinetics of architecture which i can obviously explore through the metaphor of the machine but also through drawing because i don't have to i never deal with a static condition in drawing um, when, when I'm when I'm making when I'm constructing the drawings when I'm writing about the drawings when I'm thinking about how they operate, they're they're never considered to be static. They're they're frozen moments in time. But these, I almost consider them to be um, sentient beings where they're they're kind of moving and recreate. They become their own midwives. They're recreating themselves. They're recreating other things. They're kind of reaching back and forth in time. They're they're multi chronological events. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of sorry, it's kind of all over the place, uh, as 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 probably most of the drawings read. Yeah, they do, but they 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 are also so it's a sort of resistance to a object fixated practice, rather Absolutely. than looking at architecture as an unfolding emergent property of processes and materials. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that I'm <clears throat> may have had something to do with, you know, growing up around um, um, lar- architectural scale machines. Mm. Um, 
or machines that were, you know, creating houses and 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 uh, housing developments or or other machines. This idea that they're they're propagation tools. They're not just tools to do a task, but they're tools that are used in the creation of other synthetic realities or constructs. That's a really fascinating idea. It's a really, really interesting idea. I mean, to what extent was your work already pointing in this direction when you went to LA? Or is this work in, in some way a very urban response, a response to kind of the, the conditions that you encountered in LA in the in the 80s and 90s, where you've got this, I mean, remarkable city, this remarkable animal in a way. It's like a, an ecology in its own right. I, absolutely. I was not... Um, when I was in North Carolina, I had, uh, I had not put together <clears throat> the concept of machine and architecture. They were, they were segregated entities mm. and, um, LA being the laboratory being so, so driven by the freeway and the automobile and the machines that sort of the, t- the machines and the mechanical synthetic tissue that connects pockets of space where we conducted our lives, um, it, it, it wasn't until I got out here and, and started, um, observing and living within this kind of stretched out, elongated mechanical environment that I started really looking at the machine as a language for architecture. Um, I don't know if in North Carolina I had been, I don't, I, I haven't, hadn't been told by my professors that the two couldn't merge because I don't think I had made that hypothesis yet. But when I got out here, <clears throat> I certainly had some supportive professors. Uh, Doug McLeod, who was working at uh, Barton Meyer's office, was was a key instigator. Um, I think he, I think he was at the uh, Bant Center the last time I checked, but helped me sort of understand the relationship between the mechanical landscape that I was experiencing in Los Angeles and where the work was trying to go. But I, I, I hadn't gone, I hadn't been permitted to go through that doorway. In fact, I probably hadn't been shown the doorway. And Doug was really critical in that aspect. Um, it was, it's, it's one hundred percent a response to. And I think you put it very well, the animal that that especially in the 80s was Los Angeles. I mean, it's changed quite a bit, bit since then. But the the reliance on the mechanical tissue that connected all parts of life. I mean, the city was was under uh, substantial growth at that time. Uh, we've always joked that the freeways are never not under construction. I mean, they're mm. constantly you know breathing and becoming larger and larger and consuming more of the landscape and putting more of our our mobile processes on them so it's it 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 becomes it, there's there's a there's a constant relationship with this with the automobile and the freeway and how it's really changing and defining the 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 the, the fluctuating fabric that that I I consider Los Angeles to be I I remember watching some kind of some kind of comedy show and it was talking it was talking, and I think this is Raina Bannum as well, isn't it? Looking at the idea of the freeway specifically as a sort of man-human um, synthesis, but the idea that it's also public space. And we've kind of, like, until we recognize that about cities like Los Angeles, and we have nothing equivalent in Britain, really. Birmingham has a bit of a spaghetti junction, but... It's also awful. Whereas, no, that's probably rude, and any listeners in Birmingham apologise. But um, it is awful. Um, <laughs> it's uh, uh, we got a spaghetti junction there, which I think we're quite quietly proud of, and then horrified by at the same time. But there's this idea that the roadways themselves, like, there was this comedy show, and people were listening to the breakfast show, and it's like a hip hop show. I can't remember. It's a big. It's like listened to by like. 8 million people or something like that, some staggering number. And actually they're listening whilst they're sitting in their cars. Sure. And so the cars, even though you're isolated, individuated in your car, you're actually part of a collective, which is the people listening to that show in cars on the highway. And as such, it's a form of public space. Most, As as legitimate as any piazza in Italy. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and um, the, the idea that we're creating these, these enclaves and these public spaces and these communities through media and through technology is something that's always obviously fascinated me. And I think the Mm. work, the work is reflecting that to a, to a certain extent. So the title of the book, Speculative Coolness, can we, 
can we like what do you mean by cool i know what the speculation is but what do we mean by cool here well i mean you know part of it originally was um was uh, 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 an homage to you know the, the hot, hot and cold media and looking at, at at media that requires a higher level of of uh, intellectual and physical engagement. So I think most of the work it's actually a term I didn't coin the term. Uh, Sarah Lorenzen, who was a, uh, at the time the chair of architecture at Cal Poly Pomona, um, labeled my work that once I think when I was doing a lecture there and and. It kind of it kind of you know stuck uh, because it because of the reference to coolness and the fact that the the architectures, <clears throat> if I may call them that, and the drawings require uh, demand that the the readers, the viewers, the occupants become an active participant. And so it was really a, you know kind of a for me um, I, I'm not sure what Sarah meant by it, but the coolness initially was the idea of the level of interaction and the requirement of interaction with the transmission, which in, in, in most cases were drawings for me. Um, you know, the, 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 the coolness factor, I'll, I'll leave that up. I'll leave that up to the reader, a reader. I would like, I would like to think that the work has a, um, a, a slang coolness and the fact that it's, it's hoping to be uh, different than mainstream and innovative and providing sort of, um, you know, kind of a head scratch or a head turn. But again, that, that, that's not something I could, uh, that's like trying to say the work is beautiful. I mean, that's certainly going to be in the eye of beholder, uh, you know, uh, and I've joked, maybe, maybe myself, my wife and my mom want to have one of my drawings hanging behind their couch. So I'm not going to superimpose my, <clears throat> my levels of coolness or beauty on anybody else. I'll leave that up for the, the reader. <laughs> to. <laughs> I, th I think, no, I think I was wondering about that because I, I was, Having a conversation with a, a scholar called Gavok Hatunian about this idea of cool. Uh, and he's a we were talking about the urban spectacle and the way that the cool has become a kind of almost a it's become more than just this like it's cool kind of thing. It's something to do with the deportment. It's almost like you know the birth of cool. And we're in that position. Mm -hmm. Your your work sits within that kind of trajectory it's like something which is quite a praise by the way um uh it's it's something to do with the idea of i wondered whether this word cool was something to do with this idea around um a certain urban pose that is um uh, at once kind of obviously spectacular but also trying to downplay its own spectacularness it's sort of that kind of absolutely i mean one of the when i when i started <clears throat> playing around with this idea oh seven or eight years ago and was looking at the title um i, I really started i was fascinated by the term coolness because of its ability to both yeah, as you mentioned, it has the ability of sort of an announcing its its its, its um, specialness, for lack of a better term. But it also, in the context of the word, at least the way that we use it uh, in the states, and maybe particularly in California, that you know the phrase "it's cool" also represents um, sort of a acknowledgement and a, a downplaying and saying that it that it's 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 part of the norm it's not something that has to provide friction mm -hmm. but so what i like about it is it it has this this ability to sort of do both it it, it causes a friction regarded in in terms of maybe aesthetic value or uniqueness to the discipline but um you know when 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 someone was approaches you with a problem hey i'm sorry that this happened and you say yeah you know it's, it's cool it it immediately try to puts it back into an evil uh, level playing field where it can be accepted by those other than other than those that might be interested in just when it's a spectacular condition. So for me, I really, I really um, appreciated and was intrigued by the fact that could, I could occupy both of these worlds simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that the, <clears throat> the work and the drawings try to do is that they're, they're, they're attempting to straddle different different types of areas within the discipline and within other you know visual uh disciplines 
um, and 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 trying to make a um, I, don't know if, I don't know if plea is the right word, but trying to make a statement that that this kind of thing is. I have this conversation with with my architecture friends a lot. They look at my work. And um, those of them that are in practice, you know, that are that are that are doing actual buildings, that are running successful firms, that are managing, you know, 20, 30 people, look at my work and say it's not architecture. Mm. Um, and so, so part of it is is an attempt at saying, you know, it's it, it's 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 okay, it's cool. It, we're looking at architecture as a discipline, and the the built the profession is a is a component of the discipline but it's not the only part of the discipline so in that sense it becomes kind of an educational tool not just for students but hopefully for the profession as well to start expanding the definition of architecture i find that the profession and the aia here its main goal is to constantly shave down the definition of what architecture is and can be, who even can call themselves an architect. And I'm much more interesting in thickening that surface and thickening that that kind of dialogue and, the, and those kind of conversations. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like this question. It's one that I try and get my students to think about. I, I run a little theory course here and and this idea around where architecture happens, like what constitutes architecture is kind of critical to the identity of the architect. And as most of our graduates don't actually go on to become architects in the full kind of uh, prescribed legally, um, uh, you know, uh, AIA, in our case, it's the RIBA and ARB, but they don't go on. And I ask them, you know, is is architecture the, the thing on the drawing board or is it the buildings? Because we don't actually make buildings. Builders right. make buildings. What we do is we draw pictures of buildings and sell them for money. And so there is, and and which is kind of extremely depressing, but I can be a depressing tutor. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head about sell them for money concept, but that's, that's a different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. That's the goal. That's the dream. Um, but I, but I, yeah, so I'm kind of, I think that's a really interesting question. That was one of the things that I put, I put to you, this idea of an architecture that is drawing <clears throat> this idea of, architecture is always fundamentally conceptual what gets built is something in a way that's a little bit different i well i yeah. i think that's been a that's been a uh, a conversation and a debate that that's been around with me since i've been in school um and i would agree you know we we uh, the, i've always looked at it you know architects create the designs the suggestions for which happen to be made through models and drawings and contractors builders are the ones that that manifest it when i first started teaching at cal state fullerton i'm within a department of visual arts and i was the only architect uh teaching architecture here and i used to have <clears throat> when i was preparing my tenure document i was having debates with the the chair that I was trying to explain to them that I, that, you know, architecture, at least in our department was the, was, I was the only artist that didn't get to make um, um, life, life-size manifest my designs. Every, everybody else, you know, a painter was not hiring someone to do their paintings. A sculptor was not hired in someone to, to do their sculptures, but as an architect, if I were to draw something, I would I would hire or someone would be hired to make it. And I would have, because I don't have any building skills, uh, little to no involvement in the making of it. And so the, 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 the criticality of my work was not based on whether it was built, but what the propositions were for and how the propositions then were folded into either academia or professional uh, conversation about, about design. So that's been with me um, from the beginning. Um, I think it's interesting too because uh, I think the way that you that, I like the way that you phrased it. You know that the, you know architecture. Some of it gets you know a lot. All of it is drawn. Some of it gets built. Mm. But th there's also kind of I think with my work is that um, well in a typical studio you might draw something and and with the hopes that it gets built. A lot of the work that I do, it's not even about becoming built. It's not. It's not. It's not a uh, a, a search for the buildable. Um, it's a search for uh, spatiality and conditions of, uh, you know, uh, visual inquiries that that could potentially influence others when they're making things to get built. But its its goal is not necessarily to get produced in another medium and another scale by another person. I th I think the work, uh, and I might be in a minority here that. I think the work, the, the models certainly, but the drawings too, are themselves 
um, are acts of architecture, right? They they are the architecture. So I'm, I'm but, but again, I've been beating my head against the wall for, for decades, having that conversation with both people, sadly, I mean, sadly in the profession as well as outside the profession. Yeah, and it must be coming, I mean, because this idea of, Oh, there's there's a lot to talk about. But who have who has been who have been your major influences? I mean, on, on a certain level, when you when I see your work, when your work is uh, there, there's a a strong influence as I read it of sci-fi within it, mm-hmm. science fiction films, but also science fiction fiction graphic um, magazines from years gone by. Is that fair? Is it is it sci-fi influenced and? And and who else? I mean, is Libius has Libius Woods, for example, his kind of work, that kind of work, been sure. One hundred percent sci-fi. Um, I've been a huge fan of the genre as long as I can remember. Um, Neuromancers, you know, my my favorite book. So I think it kind of that 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 fills a lot of gaps. Uh, architecturally, um, I, I don't hide it as probably well as I could, but my work are, are constant series of homages to my influences, and there's quite a few of them. I'm going to miss them, but um, uh, Lebius, uh, obviously, um, Tom Main, um, who, who it, uh, interestingly enough, I've gotten to know through my work and has become a really good friend and, a, and an amazing supporter, um, helped convince me was one of the people that talked me into doing the book, um, and so oh. that's been that's been phenomenal, especially the way his, his early drawings. And we've had some amazing conversations. Um, uh, uh, Wes Jones and Neil Denari, obviously. And that's probably what I don't hide so well. I'm, I'm constantly getting people saying, Oh, it looks like Wes's work or Neil's work. And um, hopefully not an insult to them. Um, Wes has become a really good friend through the work as well. Wes wrote an essay for my first book. He's written an essay for speculative coolness. Um um, uh, Zaha, uh, 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 Peter Eisenman, uh, Liebskind, um, anybody that was doing um, highly experimental theoretical work that was trying to take the conversation into a larger area and and not and not not kind of strip it down. Um, so and I think. Kind of, oh, sorry. No, no, go please. No, I was just thinking this idea of crit because you mentioned this this word criticality, and I'd written it down already. Uh, thinking about this idea of a critical drawing practice, which obviously, when you look at early Zaha work and uh, early Eisenman work, and um, uh, th- that's critical, that's central to their work. What are they criticizing? What are you? What is the con- what is the condition that you're contesting that so that so needs it? Like what what is the problematic that the work is trying to discern an answer or answers to? I think specifically over the last seven to 10 years, it's, it's looking at, or it's attempting to look at and make propositions concerning um, uh, the technology of media and the media of technology and how that um, just like we were talking about the radio broadcast and where it, you know, sort of has the ability to encompass and form a group. So I'm, I, but I'm, I, I really, um, am intrigued by these dualities where we have events or situations or systems that can both unify and segregate at the, at the same time, sort of like we were talking about with the word coolness, it kind of has mm-hmm. a way of getting opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So I have been through, uh, I guess I'm an interesting age. Um, I'll be 58 in August. And so I was raised in a time where, um, you know, the iPhone and the ubiquity of information, I sort of got in on that, but wasn't quite young enough to have it. I I was, I was old enough to have a a pre-media technology history. And I'm kind of in one in that very interesting generation where we're caught in the middle, um, you know, my kids are all raised on technology. My students are all, everybody's sort of literally connected um, and disconnected at the same time with the technology. So I'm very interested in, 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 in propositions, visual and spatial propositions that look at that challenge that utilize and question the role of media and technology, as well as the role of, um, or, our ability or inability to to accept uh, presented media as conditions of truth. Um, uh, I mean, if I find that 
incredibly trouble at troubling, but also incredibly the, the, uh, p- potentially hopeful, d- depending on who's kind of got hold of the steering wheel at any given time. And so I think I think the work is trying to use that idea of um, how how media could be positively used, how it is negatively used, how it how it can produce a lemming effect, how it can uh, immediately segregate um, 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 uh, socio political boundaries and conditions almost blindly with a blind faith um, so that that can be folded into architectural um, propositions and inquiries where I guess at the end of the day, what I'd like for people who are attempting to read the work would be to sort of step back and scratch their head and and ask a question not about the architectural response but about the the nature of um, how media and technology c- could be used and how they are being used or in this case uh, you know uh, abused um, for um, you know for uh, as, we, as, as we've seen currently um, that's that and that's that's fairly new that's again seven or ten years before that it was looking at the the condition of um static architecture um not not as a not as a formal issue but as a condition of i've always had this theory that uh, we as as ergonomic organic evolving decaying entities um, and the relationship to to our built society and our built environment, which doesn't really reflect that, right? Every everything's hard and fast, and the and the decay is is not built in kind of within an organic system. That was one of the things that interested me with the machine was looking at the ability of instead of, instead of our bodies just adapting to the architecture, is that an architectural condition could adapt to our to our configuration, the kinetics, the reconfigurations, the lack of static within architecture or even with an architectural drawing so if if i if i'm successful and i'm not sure that i am I'm, i'd like to take the 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 idea of being critical of that uh repurposing the role of adaptability with architecture and humanity and the the new idea of media technology technology media and trying to kind of fold it into one um recently and this is not in the book I've really started to looking at with these with some of the collage works. I'm I'm going back and and redrawing on top of existing building drawings, you know, somewhat well-known building drawings. We're in, we're in a condition right now, and this this has everything to do with media and technology, of becoming <clears throat> awakened as a society for you know incredible history of what I like to call synthetic fabricated histories. Um, and so my my thought was, and it's it's just the seed of an idea that if we are if we're in all other aspects of our life, if we're questioning our histories and we're questioning the the narratives that have been constructed, the architectural drawing needs to be reinvestigated right as well. So I've started to draw these constructs, these installations, these 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 devices and architectures that map and redraw and they're meant to question the 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 standards of architectural representation that has built the way that we have approached architectural education and architectural building you know over the over the last you know numerous amounts of decades so again that's a that's a new concept but it's it's based on the idea of 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 media and technology and the the way that that um the way that media and technology have contributed to these synthetic these synthetic histories and these 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 fabrications of what we've taken to be a truth to a certain point, and now we're kind of reinvestigating them. I mean, architecture. I'll leave it to those who are more uh, more experienced and have something more important to say as to look at the built how the built environment does that and how the education is doing that. I'm I'm really interested in looking right now at 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 you know classic um, accepted um, buildings and drawings of buildings where we can if we can challenge those. My feeling would be that we can go back and then we can start challenging the 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 constructs that formed them and maybe we're at a place in architecture and society where we through this awakening and that's probably not the right term but through this awareness of such synthetics start to question how we might redefine from from here on out how truthful we are in in our in our in our narratives 
That's yeah, yeah. I think that makes that that that. I mean, all three of those kind of things are really. It's really interesting. There's a sort of technology as a mechanism for vernacularizing and this drawing um, technique, which, as you described at the beginning, is a sort of iterative process between the model and the drawing and the site and the model and the drawing, and you know, back and forth. In a way, is about as I understood it and uh, reading the book. And I want to come on to this idea of reading it because you mentioned people reading your book, but the writing of the book itself is also speculative. And I think that that's worthy of, that, that's quite an interesting idea that, 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 that you can also deconstruct or reformulate the way that we talk about architecture to enable it to be more, um, to, to, to do a new thing to move away from the kind of normative way that things are being done, which I'm guessing the, the fundamental critique is that they're not doing them very well. You know, they're not the, the, the tools that we use to produce contemporary architecture are not that useful. If the goal is rewarding, equitable, peaceful, joyful, creative society. Sure. Right. And so these, these techniques that you seem to be describing, um, and the way that you then describe them in the texts in, in Speculative Coolness seem to me to be so, in a way sort of like breaking away from this kind of hegemonic, this is how we do architecture. This is the only way we do architecture. And because we say so, and we're up here and you're down there. Right, right. You know, so the plan and elevation are very fascinating drawings, but they are not the only way to communicate. Like, Vernacular settlements in which two billion people live don't use plan and elevation drawings. Right, right. And and the other thing that this idea of mobility that you talk about in all of the lovely, lovely presentations, this idea of creating an architecture that is astatic, again, not actually something that's outside informal settlements, probably historical human experiences, got this peculiar idea about stasis and stability now which i think yeah your work seems to be challenging uh, you know hopefully uh, and you know at the end of the day i don't know if i'm proposing any anything new or radical i'm i'm proposing my my take on how this could be kind of thought about and then hopefully with the construction of the book mm -hmm. disseminated um, and I, I want to, you know, I need to mention uh, my editor, Peter Baldwin, and the graphic designer, Mark Stanley. I mean, this was a, this was a, a you know, a, a joint effort and to try and to think of a deliverable system that would not be the normative way that we have, any of us have talked about it before. Not to say that it's a breakthrough and it's amazing or anything like that. It's just an individual take on it that we haven't necessarily seen before. And we wanted to make sure that the, the way that the text was broken down, the way that the work was curated uh, from Peter's aspect, the way the, the way that the work was graphically disseminated through Mark's aspect was all, all trying to play off of and harmonize with the flavor or the essence of what the work was trying to do, which has become not so much a refined single target, but kind of a blur constantly mm -hmm. moving to allow hopefully more levels of engagement mm -hmm. um, and to not say that there's only five places where someone can enter the conversation, but maybe there's 500 and there's, you know, you can come in at your own level and and pull out and come back in at, at, a, at a different place. So I think the way that we thought about the, 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 the structure of the book and even the physical, you know, um, with time, time and budget constraints, obviously mm -hmm. we never get what we want to do with the, with the, with the book, but we did, I think a pretty good job. Um, I just, in fact, just last night I got the um, the full book as a set of cut sheets from the from the from the printer. Uh, so I haven't I haven't seen it as an entity. It's not bound, you know, but to see it as a physical entity. Mm. Um, again, the, the the you know where you put your fingers, how you're flipping through it, the sequence of the pages, what the images look like. I think it's it's a I, hopefully once once we get the final product, it's going to be for students and hopefully for some professionals, a way of kind of maybe stepping to the side just slightly and looking at this, some of the conversations that we're having in a slightly different way. 
I mean, if if it does that and nothing more, I would consider it to be successful. I, I don't know if I would call it radical. I don't know if I would call it, um, you know, uh, uh, life life changing. I mean, that would be awesome if we could assign those values to it. But if I, but the the objective of the work has always been to get people to look at it, to look at these conversations in a slightly different way than they hadn't before. It would be a great poll quote to have on the back, though, wouldn't it? Life changing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would be yeah. great. That would put me in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Maybe your book would move out of the architectural section of the library and into the self-help. Um, yeah, yeah, or the self, or the self-deconstruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think there is something kind of. I think it's going to. I mean, I think it will be an important book when it comes out because of this sort of the deconstructivist moment was very short-lived, and then they became spectacle makers, mm-hmm. and they all got kind of swallowed by the machine. Right. Right. And they're really rich now, so they had a great time. Um, if they're still with us, but the, but but there is something I think really interesting about this moment. We were touching on this briefly just before we 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 started recording, which is this specific condition of the post-COVID world, which, as educators, you and I have. It's complicated something something has changed and perhaps what this book and the work that you present in it um is an opportunity to start deacons like i i've been thinking like we need to stop doing lectures like they, mm. they're not really the kind of way people consume information anymore right right and and is it like essays i've always found them a bit problematic because there's never much good at writing them to be honest um can't concentrate that long um so so maybe you know and and perhaps what this is is that there 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 is in speculative coolness in your work the 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 seeds of a new way of conceptualizing an architecture fit and fit for this condition that we find ourselves in that takes that deconstructivist story re-energizes it with a mobility and and disinfects it of its kind of its role in neoliberal capitalism. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and hopefully, I mean, I think the work and the book, there I, I and the and the drawing, uh drawing in general, but the but the drawings that I do, I, I intend them to be tools, hmm. not with a prescriptive value for how they're going to be used, but hmm. that it's a it's a different tool that if it's ta- and I have this conversation with my students all the time, you know, um, I use the you know the 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 great reference of the hammer. Uh, a, a hammer is only going to be effective if it's if it's picked up and it's utilized, not necessarily as a hammer, not in the Heideggerian sense where you know we're we're only aware of the nail that it's driving and then the tool gets out of the way, but it, it has to have a functionality. Um, if you hold it backwards or you hold it with a different part of your body, it still can function as a tool. And then you then then the tool actually becomes part of the conversation. So I'm not interested so much in tools that become invisible. I'm interested in the equipment that comes to the forefront and becomes part of the conversation about how it might be used differently. Mm-hmm. And in that case, to further the analogy, what what new we might construct with the tool that's used in ways that we hadn't thought about before. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the book will, continue that or allow that conversation possibly with students yeah for sure because there is i mean you talk about the work in in i suppose listeners might be tempted to think that the work is very very remote and abstract but it's not it's still architectural you can still see architecture there you know the the project c suf sentinel that Mm. looks almost that looks almost buildable that was a proper. That, that was perhaps one a bit more buildable than Alice 2.0. Yeah, <laughs> a little less expensive to build. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that. So that it is still observably architectural. You know, it's not like um. You know that it's still something that is almost with a bit of value engineering. You could imagine sure. being built. Yeah, even the 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 DC 19. The I mean that was actually done completely during COVID. That was a. Uh, a, a re-examination of a commission of, a, of the condition of domesticity based on pre-vaccination or pre um, yeah pre-vaccination ability 
COVID, right? When we mm-hmm. were still in lockdown, we were still isolated at that point. I had a theory. I mean, this thing could have gone on for 10 years if we hadn't, if, 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 if vaccinations, if, you know, I don't want to make it political. I believe in them. I am vaccinated. Um, I have a, I, I, I think that it's going to help prolong our lives, but that was a condition when we, the virus was still brand new and everything was locked down and life as we knew it had ceased to cease to exist. So I was taking the opportunity of redefining what a domestic condition would be based on, you know, at that point, it was maximum amounts of sunlight exposure and ventilation. We knew we had to, so we had to change the paradigm of enclosed space versus open space. The, the front courtyard, the Amazon delivery port became for many people, our only way of engaging with with uh, the public, and so that became that's now that was a major design feature, very shortly a short lived project, but it was trying to capture a moment in time that was responding to a specific condition, buildable, yeah, expensive, yes, way too expensive, yes, but buildable in terms of that it's that it it re, it re, it starts to redefine issues about domesticity that will, as you said, now that things have changed. And certain parts of our lives will always be changed as a result of this, regardless of whether the 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 COVID is is no is any is is out there or not out there anymore. Whether we ever find a cure for it, the, the, our physical landscape and our our social and and certainly in the states our political landscape will forever be changed because of this phenomenon. So it was an opportunity of looking at you know the the technology of food delivery and the technology of medicine delivery and the technology of ventilation and the technology of the political machine that really segregated things here in the states we unfortunately did a horrible job we we took a a, a human condition a medical condition and we we politicized it and then we weaponized it because of that and we did, i mean I, I think it was done poorly all over the world but i think we were the my God, the amplifier <laughs> of that, unfortunately. And so it was an opportunity of, of taking all of those kind of floating parts and doing a project that was not about being buildable, but that 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 used an architectural language that people might be able to understand. Okay, that 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 looks and behaves like a building, maybe not what we think a house would be, but it's it was not so fantastical that it it stayed out kind of on the on the mm. on the parameters. It 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 was meant to come back and start talking about a I had conversations with a lot of my non-architecture friends about that project because we were talking about the condition that I can't talk to you unless you're standing at the end of my driveway. You know, we used to have parties in my old neighborhood where everybody would bring their chairs and we would stay 50 feet apart. And we we were redefining new social fabrics within the domestic condition based on this kind of this this entity that no one could see or touch. And so I found it to be fascinating and it seemed to be worthy of, a, of an architectural proposal, I guess, for mm. lack of a yeah for sure how do you go about teaching something like this like how do you do you take this model of um because obviously for a teacher drawing is an analytical and discursive tool as well as it is a representational tool and and your drawings are doing both things simultaneously which i think is quite an interesting characteristic of them that they are you know there's this word palimpsest that you you use as well this idea of a, an erasure, but a memory or a trace. So your drawings are both the working out and the presentation of the thing all at the same time, as, as I read them. Sure. Rather than yeah. that thing that we do in sketchbooks, and then we get out the A1 sheet of paper and we carefully clean our, you know, line it out, or, or, or we print out these days. We draw on a sketchbook for like two minutes, and then we draw up in SketchUp for like two hours. And then we make it look cool and then we walk away. There, so there's a, there's a kind of much more kind of, uh, yeah, it's an interesting technique. So I was wondering how do you use this as a technique in your teaching or, or, and what are you, what are your experiences of it for, for students? So um, if, if I were to try to teach this specifically, which I, 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 I don't, but the, I would actually invert the processes. I, um, as a methodology, um, I would start in any media that allowed me to expand a level of inquiry, and then and then I would I would I, I, I talked about shift to another media. So I often, when I'm working, will spend a lot of time on my on my big drawing board or in a model mm-hmm. phase, and then I'll I'll go back into my sketchbook and develop that uh, through text and through diagramming. So it's it's not it's not the typical 
sketchbook then. I, I look at the work and when I try to talk to students about this specifically, as I mentioned, it's it's more about being a tool, mm. a tool that presents itself. Uh, it's sort of like the uh, oh, this will this will really put me in in the in the geek category. But it's it's the sword of Gryffindor, right? So the tool presents itself when it's needed, and it allows you to do what is needed to do at that time, and then it might vanish, and then it might come back again in, a, in another aspect. So the 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 thing that I have have talked about with students is that you have to avoid compartmentalizing. I only do this kind of thinking with this kind of media, mm-hmm. and then when I go to a different media, I only do this kind of thinking. That that tends to collapse in on itself, and it doesn't allow for hybridization. So I I, I deal when I deal with students with this, we talk about the hybridization, the crossover, um, thinking of things that you can only do in drawing form, but to do that in a modeling format, or think of things, the spatialization, the techniques, things that you can only think about doing a three-dimensional model, but doing that in a drawing so that you're not, you're not stereotyping, you're not limiting, you're not um, getting into the naming problem with the, even the, the media typologies and, and what that has typically allowed us or prevented us to do. Mm. That's that's that would kind of be the core of it. Sounds fascinating. Sounds really, really wonderful. I think we'll leave it there. But thank you so much, Brian. I've really enjoyed trying to understand a little bit more about your work. Well, it's been my pleasure. I hope I have. I tend to talk in. Uh, I tend to go off on tangents quite a bit, much like the work. They're 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 hard to focus. Uh, it's it's been a real pleasure, and thank you for finding the, again the work of of interest enough to 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 talk about it. It's 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 oh, it's an honor, and I really appreciate it. Nice. Thanks to Brian for joining me on this episode and for reintroducing me to that wonderful world of, well, speculative coolness. Thanks, Fran, at Routledge for the PDF of the book, too. You can buy a real version via the links in the podcast description, where you'll also find info on Brian and as many of his online avatars as I could dig up. Please subscribe to the podcast and share this episode liberally. And thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>